Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today, I am honored to be joined by Benno Van Den Torden to talk with him about his brand new book, which he has co-authored, called Humble Confidence, a Model for Interfaith Apologetics. And today we're going to, you know, if you've been listening for the podcast for a while, you know, one of the things that uh, gratefully influences the podcast and how I approach things is my Christian faith. And today we're going to talk about, um, and really just learn about a lot of other different faiths from Islam to Buddhism to Hinduism and many more as well. And uh, I'm just very much looking forward to that because that's uh, just, I would love to learn more just about all of those different types of faiths. And we're really going to get into that, into the conversation today. Now, if you've been listening for a while or you consider yourself a lifelong learner, let me recommend to you subscribing to my Substack, to where I'm giving you all of the different things that I am learning from, from books to podcasts to blogs to articles to quotes, anything that is just capturing my attention, capturing my imagination. I just want to share it with you. And you could go to the link in the show notes to find uh, my Substack and and where you can see all the different things that I'm learning from as well. Now. Let me tell you a little bit about um, just some of our values here on the podcast, if this happens to be your first time, because they they literally inform a lot of the conversation that we're going to have today. The first one is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations or conversations to where we just maybe disagree. And whenever it comes to interfaith dialogue, that can definitely be very apparent and very present. We believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we completely agree with them. That we can learn from anything and from everything, whether it's something serious or it's something a little bit more trivial and fun. And the reason why we do that, the reason why I do that, is because someone did that for me. Someone decided to invest in me, they decided to share the things that they were learning and they continued to grow not only for their benefit, but for the benefit of the people around them and for the people who are closest to them. And that's what I want to do here on the podcast is share what I'm learning for maybe your benefit. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Benno, and then we're going to jump right into the conversation. So Benno Van Den Torin is a professor of intercultural theology at the Protestant Theological University in uh, Groningen, the Netherlands, and he has taught in French-speaking Africa and at Wycliffe Hall at Oxford University. And his books include Christian Apologetics as Cross-Cultural Dialogue and Reasons for My Hope. And without any further wait, oh, and he has co-authored this book, Humble Confidence, a Model for Interfaith Apologetics. And without any further wait, here is our conversation. Bano, it is so good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Good to see you, uh, Caleb. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, you know, I think one of my one of my favorite places to start conversations like this with someone who has authored a book or created a work of art is I love hearing the story behind it. And so you've written this book or you co-authored this book called Humble uh, humble confidence, which is about interfaith apologetics and communication and all that stuff. And I would just love to hear where did that desire for for interfaith apologet- apologetics begin for you? Um, I've been interested in uh, in apologetics, uh, so how to give an account of your faith for a long time, and that had origins in my own biography, where as a teenager and, and as a student, I really wanted to know why I believed what I believed. Um, then I spent, uh, in, uh, as, as a missionary, I spent uh, many years in, uh, in Africa and uh, met uh, Muslims, uh, people deeply influenced by African traditional religions. 
Later, I spent, or in that period, I also spent uh, a year in, in Canada where I had uh, a half year long weekly meetings with a Buddhist where we shared about our faith. Uh, and in those encounters, I realized a couple of things. Uh, one was actually that uh, the type of apologetics I got to know in uh, the West, in my own upbringing, was basically asking questions Westerners ask and giving answer that Westerners might find convincing. Not always, but at least they were aimed at Westerners. And I realized that many of the questions of um, my Buddhist friend in uh, Vancouver or uh, Muslims, I, I, I would meet either in the UK where I lived later or, or, or in, the, in the Central African Republic, they would be so different. I had no way uh, of knowing how to answer that. So I started really getting into this type of conversation and thinking what would be the way of conversing with people from radically different faith backgrounds. Um, at a certain moment, I met Kang Santani, became a friend when we were in, uh, in Vancouver, both as uh, scholars in residence. And Kang San is a Chinese Malaysian with a Buddhist background. My own background is Christian, uh, who became a Christian later. Uh, his story, his, his family was also influenced by Taoism and Confucianism. Uh, he's been engaging a lot in questions of interreligious relations. And we realized that uh, engaging in these types of questions is not something you can do on your own because you know uh, world religions are varied they're profound it takes a long time knowing them and where i, I was uh, uh, more aware and i did more study of say western conversation partners islam primal religions he was much more into asian religions and though did that combination work really well yeah, I'd love to hear, you know, you, you touched on um, being being in the West and that we have our own idea and own questions for what apologetics can be and what questions need answered. Can you touch on a couple of those? Yeah, so uh, the, the, the typical questions that we treat in Western apologetic books are, um, you know, um, uh, is there a God? If there is a God, can he act in history? Uh, are science and faith uh, compatible what about evolution uh, is uh, the bible trustworthy um most people from other religions you know if, if i talk with a muslim or with uh, someone from african traditional religions the question whether god exists is no question at all um the uh, a muslim might have the idea that the bible is corrupted but the idea that there is a god and a book that has words from God that are relevant for us is not strange at all. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a, 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 someone from a primal religion doesn't find the idea of a miracle strange, uh, doesn't find the idea of a resurrection even strange, uh, but asks, um, you know, if I'm ill and uh, I, I go to a pastor and the pastor prays for me, I go to the hospital, and in either case, I'm healed and I go to a traditional healer um, and I'm healed. Doesn't that mean that the traditional healer is stronger? No, those, those sort of questions are asked. Um, the, 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 the Buddhist friend I conversed with in, uh, over many years, he, he, or over many months, he would not be a believer in God because sort of a philosophical Buddhism doesn't believe in God, but the idea that religion is of utmost importance and there is a spiritual reality that is all decisive in my life was very common to him. Um, but when you would ask him, what is the origin of suffering? He would give a very different answer. So again, questions differ. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can we maybe uh, start taking some of those religions one at a time? Yeah. And you mentioned a few of the questions, but going like, Hey, this is this is a question that would be very important to um, to Islam yeah. or to um, to Buddhists. Can we maybe, maybe start with Islam yeah. and then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think Islam. Um, I think I'm speaking with you from the U.S. I'm I'm in, in Europe. I think for many people, is Islam mm -hmm. is the major non-Christian religion uh, people know about, apart from may, maybe probably secularism as a pseudo religion. Um, and in conversation with Islam, there are a lot of similarities that help us engage in conversation. So the idea that there is a God, that 
the existence of God is of utmost importance for our lives, that God speaks and that we need to recognize the voice of God, that we need to obey the voice of God, the fact that there is a future and we need to prepare for that future. Those are things we share. Um, and yet our understanding of that God is very different. Um, is God a God who is mainly our, who is absolutely one, who is mainly our king and our Lord, or is it as in the Bible where God is indeed our king and our Lord, but more, he's also our father. Uh, he wants to be our friend. He wants to be our lover, even. very different concepts of God. Um, and what, what, what does paradise look like? Is, is paradise uh, about uh, a place where we have ultimate blessings but still you might say created blessings the blessing of this world or is the new heaven and the new earth about god living with us and about a person a, a different type level of encounter with god's self um so very different concepts and actually when you engage in that conversation uh, it takes really quite some time to get to know each other to get to trust each other but at a certain moment, questions of truth also become unavoidable. You know, is indeed Allah the seal of, no, is, is Muhammad the seal of the prophets? Because in that case, of course, the Quran is the word of God. And the only way to uh, do justice to who God is, is to obey the commands of Allah in the Quran. Or is Jesus not only a prophet uh, who is surpassed by Muhammad, but is he indeed the son of God who conquered death, who reconciled us with God and who introduces in us in a loving relationship with God? Because both lead to very different lives. Both lead to different understandings of what salvation is and how it is attained. And if we desire salvation for ourselves, but also for our friends, our colleagues, then these questions come become unavoidable. Mm. Yeah. How... I, I do I do want to hit on like some of the other religions too. One of the questions that came to my mind is like, how do you go about like having these conversations? Is it just stuff that comes up naturally, or what are some of the things that you've learned to to lead to some of these deeper conversations? Yeah. Um, if I look in my own life, and I can just I think say say about talk about these things in my own life, uh, then um, they they come about by being interested in the people you meet and then and, and then hoping for further conversations. Actually, I come from a, question, a context in Europe uh, and in the Netherlands maybe more so than other places in Europe where we don't talk about religion. Um, I think uh, the United States may be a bit different, but we don't talk about our personal faith. That's, that's personal. Many people in other contexts uh, find it quite normal to talk about their faith and they realize it's important. So um, some meetings are very, uh, very short. You know, um, I uh, sit for half an hour on a railway station in Paris. This is a story, this is a real story. And uh, I happen to sit next to a Sikh and you recognize a Sikh from what they're dressed like. And I, I, I ask, I think you're a Sikh. Uh, and I ask, you know, how did you become a Sikh? And they tell about you know how how they uh, they 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 get it from their parents. I tell I'm a Christian and how I was raised into Christianity from my parents. And then uh, I try some sort of a challenging question, saying you know what do you think? Uh, should religion be something we adhere to because it is the religion of our parents or not? And then of course then questions are raised, discussed. Is this the main thing? Yes or no? And that's a conversation of half an hour. Uh, that happened uh, on a railway platform and somewhere some, he, he goes his way and I go my way. I've no idea what the impact is. Um, yeah. But this uh, Buddhist friend in Vancouver, I met uh, amazingly in church. Uh, I get to know him in church. Uh, he says, yes, I'm a Buddhist, but the Buddhist temple is too far away. I need a place to meditate myself. And uh, I find the church the most convenient. And uh, we, 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 out of interest, we started meeting each other on a weekly basis. Um, I'm also uh, uh, a theologian by profession, yeah, 
And that means that in that role, for example, in England, I got once invited into a mosque where people said, we want someone to explain the doctrine of the Trinity. So it, it, it's, it's very different, but some things are very casual. Some things are more formal, um, but part of it is being interested in the people you meet, wanting to listen and, and really wanting to listen before you want to share anything. I often end up sharing, but that's not where I start. I just want to know where people are, uh, what drives them in terms of their religion. And uh, in many contexts, that's very common to ask. So uh, a Muslim or Hindu or Sikh would not find that a strange question because that's part of their life. Hmm. Yeah, and it just makes me think, like, essentially, you're just looking for an opening in the conversation. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm and just looking. I, I enjoy, maybe there's something in me, but I, I enjoy getting to know people and also if they look yeah. very different from me. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, you, you, oh, you look out whether it's appropriate, you know, as um, yeah. in... Uh, in um, I, I, I may talk to uh, uh, someone who apparently looks like a Muslim man, but I might not so easily talk to a Muslim woman because that might be inappropriate mm -hmm. in certain context. So, so look whether it's appropriate, but it's it's part of being friendly and interested. Yeah, mm. yeah. I always love asking, like, what helps you be like a better listener? Um. I guess it's curiosity. Uh, so, mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I guess it's curiosity. Um, um, I guess it's taking time, asking questions, um, listening for what people want to say rather than for looking for opportunities to say what you want to say. Yeah. Um, uh, often an issue with evangelism and apologetics is that we have our story, we ask questions, but we ask questions mainly to get our point along. And I find that if you really listen into where people are, then the opportunities to tell your story will also come, but people will be more ready to listen. And when they feel that you're not really listening, but you're trying to get your story across. Um, I think I should also say that for me, to become a good listener, I also need to become more grounded in my own faith, more confident in my, my own faith. I think that when I was uh, when I was younger, I I would find it hard to really listen because I would be afraid that I might not have any answers. And uh, and and now I know that people may tell me things that I ask me questions and I don't have answers, but it would have less of an impact on my personal faith. So that's, there's, there's also faith, growth in faith needed. And I should still say that there are, that's part of the interreligious encounter. There are moments when uh, I, I am really, I, I, I really don't know what this all means, but I have learned to also embrace this as opportunities for growing in my own faith. Also opportunities for growing in my own faith Christ. Um, but I mm. I need that growth because otherwise I um it it is also a bit scary. And and it, in in a sense when I when I truly listen to others, it does something with myself. Yeah. Mm. I can imagine because it probably like in, in my case, it is it has forced me to address questions that I would not have addressed otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, man, there's so there's so much there uh, that I could that I could go off of. Um, uh, you know, I think before we get back to uh, going through uh, the other different types of religions, I want to go back to what you mentioned of um, sometimes we don't listen because we're not confident yeah. in our faith as well. And to me, that's one of the 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 ideas that was introduced is you talk about that there's there's two different types of apologetics. Yeah. There's the apologetics for building your own faith, yeah. and then there's the, the apologetics for, for conversing yeah. with other yeah. people. Let's talk for a minute about the apologetics of building your yeah. own faith of like, 
what that looks like, how you can go about that so that you can be confident in, in having these conversations? Yeah, I think actually um, uh, they, they are not necessarily about different questions. Um, I, I think that often it's the same conversations we have in the church as outside the church. Um, and I, I think that we find sometimes the challenges of questions from outside the church uh, so uh, so close, so so demanding, because they are also our own questions. And, and that may be very different questions. You know, um, uh, if I'm suffering, I may myself ask, you know, does can a God exist if he doesn't seem to care? Uh, or if I'm uh, uh, a social scientist, I may really be worried, isn't it the case that religious religion is inherently violent? Uh, or uh, I may ask, you know, uh, um, hasn't evolution actually disproven the existence of God? So they may be partly my own questions. And in the world of religions, of course, the main question is then, if there are so many religions, uh, may we have actually reasons to believe that Christianity has a special place there, a special voice, a special place in the plan of God. Those, those are questions that come up from outside, but they may also are uh, also be our own questions. Um, and mm -hmm. therefore, in dealing with our own questions, we may build up our confidence and find better words to talk to those outside. Um, that's also why I'm not so much bothered in a way that much apologetic, sometimes people say apologetics doesn't really work because, uh, in fact, most apologetic literature is read by Christians. Um, that's not so much of a problem because we tend to reach others uh, through their Christian friends. And it is if Christians are built up in their faith, then they will have the right words to share with others, but they will also have the confidence to really listen to others so that when the time comes, they can share what their faith is about. Yeah. So it's not often different questions. Although we need to realize that um, the, 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 the question that we often find more pressing in the West are the questions of the secular West. And those may not be the questions of a Muslim you might encounter or of, 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 a, of a Buddhist you might encounter. Those questions are, are, are very different. But of course, if you are a Christian living in a Muslim context, if you are a Christian living in a Hindu context, then the, 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 the elements of the Hindu faith or of the Muslim faith are so much part of your plausibility structure of your society that they are also your own questions. You know, they're not entirely foreign. Yeah. Um, if you would be in a Muslim, Muslim con uh, in a Hindu context, then of course uh, the question, um, you know, why aren't there many gods or many ways God can encounter us, becomes a very natural question. Uh, if you live in a in a Muslim context, then the idea that Islam seems to be a much more practical religion with laws that are much more feasible than Christianity becomes a real issue because Christianity doesn't seem so practical as Islam that has a good way of structuring society. Mm. Yeah, can you can you talk about that more of like it's not just the, um, the whatever people are thinking about, you know, their their religion or their faith background, it's not just the faith background. It's the societal things that yeah. you were you were talking about. Is is this even possible for me to live? Can you talk about that aspect of it? Um, obviously, our our society um, shapes very much what we consider yeah, in the sociology of knowledge. They call that plausibility structure. What we consider plausible. You know, if, if you live in certain Western societies. Um, uh, um, Miracles are not plausible. In other contexts, the idea of referring to a miracle is very plausible because people talk about miracles all the time and many people would say, I have experienced them. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and in a Western context, for example, it's very plausible that religion is about private opinions that have no place in the public sphere. And if they have a place in the public sphere, it's because many people privately held to them. But is your private preference, it's something that you cannot uh, explain in public. 
Um, that is something that, uh, at least in, in, in the Netherlands, many parts of Europe, but I think also in certain parts of, of North America, people have internalized. It has become their own, uh, <clears throat> it has become their own view, or maybe if it's not their own view, it's become their own struggle. You know, how can I believe this to be more than my private opinion? <clears throat> that would not be uh, an issue in, uh, in India. But in India, it may be a real issue that people say um, Christianity is a faith of the British colonizer. So if you're a true Indian, then you shouldn't be a Christian. If you are in bind with a certain way of telling the history of your nation uh, that, uh, that, that puts Christianity at the side of the colonizer, and if actually dominant forms of Christianity that you know look very British, then that becomes a very plausible story. Yeah? And that's something you have to deal with. Talk about how you would, that, uh, what you were talking about right there. Talk about how you would de deal with or handle that situation of someone saying, yeah, Christianity is, is associated with colonialism or, you know, if you really want to go back, it's associated with the crusades and violence and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a very challenging issue, of course, also in the West, in a way where uh, where many people uh, relate Christianity to the to the colonial story, and I think it's a different story. A diff there's a, there are different issues, say, in African Asia or in Latin America than there would be in the West. So in in African Asia, of course, part of the things we need to tell is that. Um, Christianity is not a European religion. It comes from the Middle East. Um, it may have been abused by Europe for violent purposes, but that's not what it's meant. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. And part of the challenge is it's not just an intellectual answer. It's not a Western religion. It's a Middle Eastern religion. It can be an African religion and an Asian religion. It's also a, a practical challenge, namely, can people see forms of Christianity, expressions of Christianity that look African, that look Asian? Mm. So what we call a mission, uh, the contextualization of the Christian faith, you know, it needs to become expressed in African language, African forms relating to African needs, realities, and the same for Asia. That is also an apologetic necessity. Because that is an embodied answer, you might say, a lived answer to the challenge. Christianity is the white man's religion. Christianity is the religion of the white oppressor. That also means that Christianity needs to be experienced as a liberating religion. So that, that's very much the issue in Asia and Africa, in Latin America in its own way. Um, it would be very different in Europe. Um, and there, of course, the challenge is, and I, I, I think that's how I would go about it, although it, it, it might not necessarily help everyone. But um, first of all, there is this tendency to say that uh, religions are violent. Um, I think that is a great generalization. And we should recognize that uh, Christianity has been abused for violent purposes. And you talked about uh, the Crusades. It's been linked with colonialism. Um, but the most violent dictators of the 20th century were secular dictators. Stalin, um, Mao. Um, it would be hard to call Hitler a Christian. Uh, maybe not that it, it, it's closer to paganism. Uh, why don't we say that secularism uh, should be discarded for that same reason? We don't. Um, So, so th there is that issue. I think I think people find it also easy in a way to say that religion is violent because that gives us reason to keep it in a box, and uh, we should we should be careful about all ideologies that can be abused for violent purposes. And I would want to argue then that actually in Christianity there are, there are very important resources to fight this imperialism, this abuse of power, because we have a, lo a Lord actually who would have, a, who allowed to have himself crucified, you know, who 
who chose a way of non-violence. Um, I would, in that sense, also say that 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 Christianity is very very different from uh, from from at least is Islam. If you compare Jesus with uh, with with uh, with Muhammad, um, I think there are also good good ways uh, tendencies in Islam to use Islam for peace. But if you look to resources, it may may look slightly different. Um, and we also need to be aware that secularism, secularism is nowadays uh, spread across the world, also with, with a lot of manipulation, with a lot of economic force. Uh, and we find it relatively normal. Yeah. So uh, I think in the West, the conversation is slightly different. And, and I would focus on... Um, the fact that uh, secular movements are equally violent, can be equally violent, often have been equally violent, and we need to think of what are the resources that help us to fight for peace. And uh, I, I think that Jesus is a major example for that. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Uh, I want to go back to, um, we started with Islam, of talking about some of the, the religions and the questions that they have. Um, the next one that I want to ask you about is uh, primal religions. Yeah. And even, uh, I know that's that's a very general term too, yeah. so even maybe uh, defining what, what you mean by that and in, in some of the questions that they ask. Yeah. So actually, um, uh, primal religions is nowadays in the academy a, a general term that is used for religion that used to be called negatively animism, maybe tribal religions, um, uh, nature religions, um, and, and that actually is a substructure in many of the major religions. But we could think of religions like African traditional religions, but shamanism would be an example of that. Uh, uh, many of the religions of the, the traditional religions of the First Nations would, uh, would, 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 uh, would fall under that broad category without thereby making all this religion exactly the same they have they have differences um and uh i guess that some of the challenges of those religions is that they are very much local religions they are the religions of your ancestors and that means that in those contexts the idea that christianity is the white man's religion has another dimension. It's not just, it comes from Europe, but it also has a dimension. It doesn't come from our ancestors. Yeah, And therefore you need to explain why this is important for us. Um, Kwame Bediaku, who's an African theologian who's thought a lot about the role of ancestors, uh, actually uses a biblical example there. He says, we, from my tribe, his tribe, we have been adopted into Israel. So Abraham has become our adoptive father uh, or our adoptive ancestor. Jesus has become our adoptive ancestor. Uh, and that's, of course, very biblical language. But you would not think that in the Western apologetics, you would never need to answer the question, how can Jesus be relevant for me uh, if he's not my ancestor? In many contexts, the primal religions, that is a real issue. Um, and there's way possibly of, of, of answering that. Uh, often, of course, one, one, one of the issues there in the encounter with primal religions is that, uh, as Paul Hebert, I believe, says, when you relate to primal religions, the main issue is not about truth. The main issue is about power. Uh, and encounters between religious forces are often uh, power encounters. Where is their power for healing? Where is their power that brings us peace and harmony? And this is one of the reasons why in the context of those religions, actually, uh, Pentecostalism does really well. Uh, because Pentecostalism says God will bring you healing. Not only God will bring you truth, God will bring you healing. Of course, then the question of truth is unavoidable because the question is what is true healing? What would it look like? Um, uh, you may also need to answer the question then, why does suffering sometimes remain a reality? And, and, and then apologetic questions come in. But healing should have a part there. Yeah? Uh, but the question of suffering is a real issue. 
So let me tell another story there. I uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've I've worked for many years in French-speaking Africa, in the Central African Republic. I will not bother you with the, the geography, but one of the, the 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 most exciting things I did there is was involved with um, uh, uh, certain groups of Aka pygmies. So so pygmies, traditional people living in the rainforest, and there were. Uh, uh, um, uh, groups, local churches doing mission among them. And at a certain moment, I was invited to, with a colleague, to help local church leaders to think about um, a confession of faith. And one of the things that confession of faith needed to answer is, what about suffering? This reflected an experience I had many years earlier when I spoke on a conference among the Akapikis. And uh, uh, a local uh, Akapikmi church leader said, you know, my brother mocks me because he says, you are a Christian um, and two of your children have died. Where is your God? Why would you serve a God if he does not protect your children from dying? In, 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 in actually, in, 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 in many primal religions, that is a really problematic issue because if spiritual powers love you, then they should protect you. While the God of the Bible does not always protect us from suffering, and we need explanation there. That, that's a theological issue, but it's also an apologetic issue. And it's very much in that context. Um, today in a class, I had a conversation with, uh, with a former Hindu who became a Christian. And he, he, he said, actually... Um, uh, we proclaim Christianity amongst Hindus as, or Jesus as the one who conquered death. He says, many people in East Asia are not interested in conquering death. That's just the reality. That's just natural. That's not a problem. And actually, of course, in the cycle of rebirth, might 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 be something helpful. You know. So so that's a question that where 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 the fact that Jesus is stronger than death is really an answer in a primal religious context it might not necessarily be in a hindu context hmm. yeah that's really good and even as as you were talking it made me think of how sometimes our questions lead to the question that's actually our question mm -hmm. too or it leads us down the path of another question of um of just what you were saying with the suffering thing of, of even primal religion. And this might be a primal religion question. It might just be, you know, anybody question, but like, uh, is God all powerful? And then maybe the question under it is like, because I want a God that is able to stop yeah. suffering, yeah. able to save me from suffering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in the context uh, of a, a particular, uh, uh, important question. Um, yeah. Because uh, the value of religion is whether it might help me, uh, but that that's of course in many Western contexts it's, it's it's equally a question people are struggling with, and yeah. and and it's a, and it shows that it's it's that apologetics is not just about intellectual issues because it's not a mere intellectual issue. Can a god exist when there is suffering? It's an existential issue, namely, how can I believe that a god loves me? if I'm suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Hinduism as well and some of the questions that, that they're asking. You know, you mentioned the one that, that death isn't as, as huge of a deal yeah. to them, but what are some of the questions that they are asking? Um, it may be in a way um, that Christians often are answering questions that people are not answering or 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 proposing a worldview that simply doesn't make sense to people. So um, Christianity very much proclaims a God who came into history by electing Abraham, by uh, choosing the people of Israel, by sending Jesus, by raising Jesus from the dead. Um, but that, that, that means that God came into history to save us. And for many, um, many Asian religions, more in general, or, or, or at least from the Indian and, and South Asian region, um, the idea that God came into history and that history is important is just, just all. Um, actually, God is 
supremely transcendent. And we find God by escaping from this world, by escaping from the history or, or, or from the endless cycle of rebirth. Um, that means that a God who acts in history is inconceivable, but it doesn't also seem to be very relevant. Um, and we, we really need to take time to show how different it is uh, and how this in this in its own way is relevant because obviously uh, many people in India also experience suffering and find it hard. But their concept of what it means to escape from that, their understanding is very different. It's, it's, it's again going through the cycle of rebirths and then be liberated from it. that. That also means that in in uh, the Indian relig Indian religion, say in Hinduism, there are many stories about uh, the gods appearing in human form, but the historicity of those stories is not the problem at all. That That's not relevant. What is relevant is what it teaches us. What is relevant are the eternal truths. And you might say, actually, in Christianity, what we know about God is an eternal truth, but we learn it through history and and the history of Jesus of Nazareth is uh, an essential part of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can you can you tea like for someone who is wondering about that? What what more would you say to them about that? Like for someone who is in Hinduism and, and views God as being the transcendent, the the um, far and away ab above us, and going like, well, why why would he come down? Yeah. Um. I think I would want to try to show there is something really attractive about God coming down, God knowing our suffering, because I think that people cannot really escape the reality of their suffering. Um, but we may also show the reality of, or, or, or the joy of God being close to us uh, because of the, 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 the joy of being able to encounter him. Maybe the first point of contact is not uh, the, the the desire to conquer death, but the first point of contact is the desire to experience the divine or to experience God. Um, and and we may need stories of people who have encountered God in Christ. So uh, we quote in, in our book uh, the conversion story of Rahil Patel, uh, who for 20 years followed uh, a Gujarati guru, who uh, searched for many years with a strict religious regime to experience God and felt that in ter terms of personal transformation, he didn't get any closer. He finally left the church, not, no, left this, uh, this, this guru group. Um, then uh, only a couple of weeks after entered the church, and in that church, he has a profound experience of the love of God. And a couple of months later, what he would call a profound experience of the joy of God. And he experiences there uh, a, a, a nearness of God, which he's been longing for all his life and has been unable uh, to, to, to gain. And, and, and you, you can find a similar story in, uh, in, in Michael Graham. Uh, who, um, who, who, who has been seeking God through um, forms of guruism, uh, through Hindu experiences, you know, in this move of the 60s and the 70s when people all sought for liberation and enlightenment in Hinduism. He, 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 he felt that he didn't get any further in the process and actually in Christ he encountered his deepest longing. Yes. So let's talk about Buddhism next and some of the, the questions that they might have and might be thinking about. Yeah, um, I should say, actually, this becomes quite challenging in a way uh, because we, we just move through, uh, through different religions. Uh, and these religions in themselves are varied. They have uh, a, a lot of expressions. Uh, and getting to know these religions and their various expressions takes a lot of time. Uh, so in that sense, if I'm trying to answer this question, in a way it can't be my answer because I, I haven't encountered yeah. all these religions in a way. I've, I've encountered my one yeah. with his friends, uh, 
uh, or met a, yeah. a couple of Buddhist friends. Um, a lot of it I've pe picked up through literature. A lot of it we've picked up by read by doing this together. You know, I did Asian religions particularly together with uh, with Kang San. So these are not easy answers that we could systematize. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. I was going to say it, it almost it, this may not be a great comparison, but it is it almost like the different denominations and everything of Christianity. Like there's a lot of like there's a lot of similarities in it. However, there's you know you got Pentecostals, you got Baptists, yeah, yeah. you got you know Lutherans. In, yeah, yeah. So in Hinduism, there are a lot of varieties. Uh, Hinduism, you might even say, is more complex because um, Christianity and Islam go back to one founder and therefore they have mm -hmm. something in common and also an orientation point. Hinduism is almost a conglomerate of religions that have been brought together, you know, uh, primal religions mm. too. Um, so that that's more complex even. And in that yeah. sense, um, what our book is about is not about giving, you know, these are the answers to Buddhists, these are the answers to Hindus, these are the answers to primal religionists. It's really trying to uh, show an attitude how you relate to other groups uh, of an attitude of listening, uh, an attitude of trying to embody the love of Christ in community, a way of in the process growing in your own faith, growing in your own confidence. And then we show actually in concrete conversation how that happens in relation with Muslims, in relation with uh, with, with with Hindus and, 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 and Buddhists. But we we try to model a way of apologetics that is very much about listening and not knowing the answers beforehand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if we said all that, then uh, a, a major challenge in the dialogue with Buddhism, of course, what can we expect from life? Um, and what is the good that we should seek? Um, Buddhism and Christianity may, may look uh, a similar at, in a way. Uh, we, we, we talk about making the right, having the right priorities. We talk about being merciful, etc. But when you think about what it means to experience the good life and salvation, it becomes very different. So um, I, I already shared that uh, it's actually 2002, 2003 that I had this long conversations with a Buddhist friend in, uh, in Vancouver. Um, and uh, while sharing our deepest conviction, we discovered that we had much in common. We both were fathers of families, married to wives we love. Uh, we both were academics and we enjoyed our profession. We both were scholars in residence in a foreign city. We're discovering this foreign city and enjoying it in many different ways, etc. But how we related to these realities was very different. Uh, to be more precise, um, uh, my friend uh, felt that he wanted to take at a certain moment his religion even more serious and that meant for him that he would need to leave his wife and his son and that's why he felt he could only do that if his son would be a grown-up because every personal attachment would take him away from uh god or no not even from god because he wouldn't believe in god as a highest fulfillment but from finding ultimate liberation, ultimate liberation, nirvana was only possible if he would completely detach himself from all bonds because bonds would bring suffering. Um, in my experience as a Christian, actually uh, bonds do bring suffering. Uh, the people that I love most can also create most pain in my life. Yeah, and uh, I'm a father, oh, yeah. I'm a husband, I, 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 these things are true. And yet I believe that in this loving relationship, I find something that points me to God. And that God actually doesn't ask me to pull away from my wife, to pull away from my children, 
but to do that in a different way and helps me to do that in a different way. And that in loving them well, I may have a glimpse of a God who, who, who himself accepted suffering in order to be faithful to his love and in order to bring fulfillment. So these are two very different images of what it means to find liberation and salvation. Is it by detachment or is it by loving attachment? Uh, and, 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 and does God want loving attachment to God, uh, to my family, to those who are most dear to me? Um, I can try to, to, to explain what this, the differences between those pictures. Um, I can try to explain uh, what is most attractive and why for me. And in the end, it also is a question, who is God? And what does God want from us? And if there is a God, so then the question also unavoidably is, did Jesus show anything about the heart of God and the purpose of God with us? Um, I think part, part of the things we say in the book, you know, in the end, uh, apologetics is always also witness to Jesus, accountable witness yeah. so that we can tell, you know, do we have reason to trust who Jesus is, uh, what he says he is, what he says he brings, but it's witness because we have found the source of our life outside ourselves in a God who showed God's self in Jesus of Nazareth. The last one I want to ask you about in, that you guys uh, write about in the book is modernity as well. And can you talk about the the questions that, that come from that and even what that is? Because that wasn't something that I was – I hadn't really thought about it before the book. Sorry, I, I, I didn't entirely hear the words you were using. You say uh, – I, I think it's modernity. Ma modernity. Ma yes. Yeah. Good. Yes, modernity. Um, um, Thank you for helping me with the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that. We, we, one one of the things we actually are thinking about is whether when we think we so we developed in the, the book a model of apologetic witness and dialogue with different religious traditions. You know, how do we dialogue with Islam? How do we dialogue with Buddhism, Hinduism, primal religions? And we could have added more, which we didn't. You know, we could have added yeah. Sikhism, uh, Judaism, or other traditions in those great world religions, uh, like Advaita Buddha, Hinduism, or which we did. Um, but then we also ask, how does this approach to apologetics help us to relate to West, the Western tradition of secularism? And the Western religions of late modern spiritualities, yeah, um, and we 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 find that actually um, secularism can also be seen as a pseudo religion because it's not only a um, it's not only a worldview, a secular worldview that needs an intellectual answer. It's also a proposal for a life lifestyle or, or within secular modernism of course there are a range of, of, of lifestyle but it says you know this is the way you can flourish this is the way life is good um, and uh, you know some of the cruder forms say life is good through um, uh, consumption yeah um, uh, many forms would say life is good through self-development being an authentic person being completely free and, 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 and that means that there are ideals that become like pseudo-gods, that replace God, that in theological language then also can become idols. And then the question is, if these things function as a God in my life, can they do what a God should do, namely save us, um, deliver on what they promise? Can they be our support in our greatest pain can they bring the greatest joy and 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 this model of holistic apologetics helps us to engage in a dialogue that does not only look at intellectual issues as some cruder forms of apologetics do you know what is the truth what are the best arguments 
arguments for the truth. It, it looks at lives as embodied forms that in embodied ways make claims about what the world is like, what life makes worth living. But it also showed that, 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 that people are not just uh, secular because they have uh, embraced a certain worldview. Uh, it also means that uh, they have certain emotional attachments. They have made certain choices in their lives. And that means that um, inviting them to Christianity is not merely inviting them to a, uh, a, a different worldview. It's also inviting them to a different uh, goal in life, uh, mm -hmm. a different desire, uh, a different emotional world, etc., with with a an invitation to a conversion that touches these all. So, so what we see that apologetics should be in interreligious conversations, interfaith conversations, appears to be relevant to engage in a much more holistic way with uh, Western secularism or even with postmodern secular, uh, uh, postmodern spiritualities. Yeah. Hmm. You know. Uh... One, one thing that I want to make sure that I follow up on you with is, you know, all throughout this conversation, we've been uh, talking about ways that we could get apologetics wrong in terms of not listening, assuming that the questions that we, that are important to us are important yeah. to anyone else. I'd love to hear what are some, what's like another way or two that we can tend to get apologetics wrong? Um, I think you mentioned a couple, uh, uh, a couple of things, you know, uh, not, not, not listening um, um, assuming that we know the questions. I think um, assuming that apologetics is only about truth, apologetics is often about relevance. You know, as I said, in Hinduism, the question whether Christ conquered truth is, uh, conquered death is also about, is it relevant at all? Um, but also it, apologetics, thinking that apologetics is finding about the right arguments um, often arguments are set in a context of uh, desires, emotional attachments, and therefore our approach should be more holistic um, and should be embodied in a community that actually shows what the gospel means in a specific context because people live it out. And it doesn't mean that the church always needs to be ideal. I've never met an ideal church. But it means that in all their brokenness, people show in their lives that this faith is deeply relevant to them and makes a difference. I got one other question I want to ask you, but before that, I always just love asking, is there anything just top of mind pertaining to what we've talked about, pertaining to the book, that you want to make sure that we cover any ideas or anything? Yeah, like I, I think you've really sort of uh, engaged with the book and therefore asked the questions that really helped us sort of to, to bring those, those those elements out. No, so so just ask your uh, your question. Okay, great. Uh, I want to go back to what we mentioned uh, earlier, that sometimes apologetics is building your faith yourself and following your own questions and discovering that the the answers to that and i'd love to ask you what's a question that you've wrestled with recently that you have gone on that journey with of building your own faith um i i, I think that uh that uh when writing this book even uh, I, I, we, we tell in the beginning of this book that I've been uh, part with Kang San. I've been writing this book while I was in Kuala Lumpur, uh, uh, Malaysia. That is where uh, where Kang San at that moment lived. Um, and uh, I, I, um, at a certain moment, it, 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 it really challenged me deeply. You know, I am writing this book about the importance of the Christian faith in the world of religion and the truth of the Christian faith in the world of religions but in the office where i'm in in a 500 meter uh, uh, uh circle around me you know you would find a, a buddhist temple a hindu temples in plural chinese temples a mosque and a couple of churches how on earth can i find courage and the confidence to tell that jesus is the way to God. 
where do I find that confidence? Um, is humility not the answer and say, we're all groping, we're all just trying to find something. And then indeed, I was really helped by Acts 17, where Paul refers to, um, to the fact that we all live in a context in which the divine is present. We move in a context in which the divine is present. He actually quotes poets from his context that actually say that. But he says, then something radically changed because while we are groping, God was looking for us. God was approaching us. God sent his son to show who God is. Um, and that actually does make me more humble rather than arrogant, but it also gives me confidence and courage to tell that story in our deeply pluralist world where we're all seeking and in the end depend on uh, what God shows about God's self. Mm. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with Acts 17, can you just kind of tease out what is happening during that time? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Acts 17 is actually a long chapter. But the part I was referring to, it's often used, uh, explains this as, as the story of Paul on Mars Hill or on the Areopagus, where Paul arrives in Athens and he's invited to explain the gospel in a meeting of thinkers, philosophers. And then in that meeting, he actually talks quite positively about a number of their philosophers, about how God has always been present in their world. But he he, he says, we, we, we have been trying, we have been looking, we have been seeking. But at the end of time, God has sent a messenger, which is a reference of Jesus. He has raised him from the death, and thereby he has shown who he was and what the end of history will be like. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that chapter so much in yeah. the book of Acts. Well, Benno, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you and get the book, you know, Humble Confidence. Where's the best place for people to go to keep in touch with you and get the book? Uh, the book is uh, published with uh, IVP Academic. Uh, so that's the way you can get it, both in ebook and in print. So uh, I hope uh, people enjoy, keep learning, and uh, people will be able to find my email somewhere on the internet if they want to send me comments. Awesome. Well, Bano, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for doing the work and just for sharing it with us and for such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Caleb. I enjoyed uh, this conversation. So coming out of that conversation, I think there's there's just so much that I learned about the different types of questions that that people literally across the world, they have different answers. Or not, well, they do have different answers, but they also ask questions that are more important to them than maybe the ones that we tend to ask ourselves. And just learning that through, through engaging with that dialogue, it, it can sometimes force us to address questions that make us very uncomfortable. It can force us to think about things that we don't want to think about. And so those are just some of the things um, that I'm thinking about. And uh, so much of what we talk about on the podcast is listening and being able to create the space to where we can have those conversations, even though they're difficult, even though we might disagree. That's one of our values here on the podcast is creating a creating a space to where we can engage in those types of conversations, believing that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them completely. And that we believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, whether or not, uh, whether or not it's something that we think is irrelevant to us, uh, completely irrelevant to us, or doesn't have anything to deal with us, or whether or not we believe that it's completely relevant to us. And so, those are some of the things that I'm thinking about from this conversation. Absolutely loved it. And uh, yeah, just very, very much piqued my curiosity and very interested in continuing to have conversations like this. So that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Benno for being on the podcast today. 
and just for the wonderful conversation that we were able to have. Thank you to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. And oh, I almost forgot, if you want to keep up with all the things that I'm learning from, please subscribe to my Substack. You can find that in the show notes. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.